school. So let's go back to the first four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four, those are the four gospels. Those were four of the disciples that the Holy Spirit picked to give a testimony of some of the things that they saw when they were with Jesus. So as a result of that, one of the things that is very interesting is, is that the Holy Spirit will use you accurately, but he will also use your personality along with it. And so you will see that some, some, uh, they will tell the same story and one would give small details, but the other one would get very intimate details. It's kind of like, you know, a husband and wife, one of them misses service. How was service today? God says, oh, it was good. You know, but if you ask the wife how was service today, it's going to be a 10 minute conversation. But her 10 minute conversation was everything in his word good. Okay. So let's look at this. (laughs) Mark chapter six. We're going to look at this, and this is all in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are a lot of stories that are the same. Some people don't know that. We're going to look at the same story told from three different points of view about how praying in tongues manipulates Ben's physical reality and causes you to time travel. Now, let me say this first of all. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, spoke in tongues while he was on earth. Have to make that clear. You have to be careful about trying to be too, um, Pastor Reggie, he put up a quote yesterday, and he said, there are some men that their God is theology and not Jesus. This, this whole thing is a story. It's not a theological debate about perfection. Y'all know what I mean? This is a, un, this is, God is a common sense God. There are some things that he doesn't say because it's like two plus two equals four. I mean, there are some things you don't tell your teenager because why? Well, I shouldn't have to tell you to see how long that you can put your hand over the flame before your, 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 your hand starts burning. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to tell them that. You know, we tell our teenagers all of that. Well, why do I have to tell you this? You know what I mean? Okay, so it's, it's like that in the same way. So Jesus Christ spoke in tongues because of this one thing. Number one, Jesus never asked us to do something that he doesn't do. Number two is that the prerequisite for praying in other tongues is only two things. And that is, you must have the nature of holiness on the inside. Remember, Jesus was the one individual that never died spiritually. You have to be born again. Y'all realize that Adam was the first man in the planet that was born again. In reverse. We are born with the nature of death, and then we get born again, and we receive the nature of life. Adam was born with the nature of life, and he became born again and received the nature of death. So he was born again in reverse. He was born again. He accepted Satan as his Lord and Savior. He became a new creature in his enemy. He became a new creature in Satan. Behold, everything has passed away, and behold, everything has become new. So he was born again in reverse. He did not know what sin was. He didn't know what sickness was. He didn't know what poverty was. He didn't know what fear was. He didn't know what any of that. And the, that's why the moment, y'all, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little... I don't want to say comical, but facetious here, but you hear people get born again and they say, my hands look new and my feet did too. Same thing happened to Adam. When he got born again in reverse, his body looked different. See? So, 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 and that's what I mean by you got to look in the reality and the science that is in the scripture. Let me come back. (laughs) Oh, so that's where I was. So the prerequisite for praying in other tongues is you have to have the nature of Christ on the inside. Well, Jesus was born sinless, so he was already set. And watch this. You know, my Holy Spirit might be playing with me, okay? Adam was born with the nature, 
Adam was born again once. You are born again once. Jesus was the only one that was born again twice. Because Adam was born with the nature of life and he became spiritually dead. You were born spiritually dead and received the nature of life. Jesus was born spiritually alive, became spiritually dead, but became spiritually alive again. To cover all of the baby. <laughs> hey, so, so he was already, this is a whole lot of information about him being like this on the inside. So Jesus Christ was already pure on the inside. That's the first prerequisite. And the second one is the Holy Spirit was come upon you. Well, we know that that happened when he got baptized. Because uh, John the Baptist said, I saw the Holy Ghost come up on him. Okay. So those are the only two prerequisites. Now, I want you to ask a question. Now, if those are the only uh, prerequisites for the lower sons to pray in tongues, then why wouldn't Jesus pray in tongues? And that's the prerequisite. You understand what I'm saying? And so that's why it gets over into why it is the only thing that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to do. It's always a mysterious. They, y'all, come on, y'all, come on. In our common sense mind, I know, I'm like I'm trying to convince you of something. You would think that, this is how I think. If I see you cast out demons, if I, if I see you walk on water, if I see you make limbs grow out and blind eyes and people hear, and I see you do all of that type of stuff, if I see you raise people from the dead out of a casket and I see you pray, uh, how many know that probably the one you want to ask somebody to teach you how to do is not the prayer part, all of the other stuff? But while it's so interesting that the disciples never asked Jesus to teach them how to cast out demons, how to do miracles, how to raise the dead, they never asked him how to show them how to do all of the powerful stuff. The one thing they said is teach us how to pray. Because that was the one thing he never did in front of them. Because he knew, remember what he would constantly say? He would say, there are a lot of things that you can't understand right now, but later you will understand when the Holy Spirit comes. Well, Jesus knew that if he kept praying in tongues in front of them, they would not understand. And that's why whenever Jesus was praying, he was always by himself. Even when he was weak, he would not let his disciples pray with him. He said, y'all stay here by the tree and I'll go pray alone. Because he was doing that, okay? All right. <laughs> you know, and I do go overboard a little bit, but I like people leaving with understanding. Not you run into some bozo on the street and you're like, well, I don't know. Somebody was telling me about some politician that, that uh, left Christianity because she couldn't explain Christianity to her daughter. You're not going to try to find out first what it is? We just, eh, whatever. All right, y'all ready? So, Mark 6, through 52. Here's, now let me set the stage. Jesus had just fed so many people supernaturally that it was 5,000 men, not counting women and children. It is also amazing to me how Jesus just went from miracle to miracle to miracle to saying, well, you get up and brush your teeth, then turn on the television, you know, and then go eat. He just went from miracle to miracle because it was normal to him. Hey, okay? I want to see. So Mark 6, 44, this is right after Jesus had fed all of these people. It says a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. So this is still in the afternoon. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. Everyone say middle. 
the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. We know the land he was on was in the mountains and in the hills. He saw that they were in serious trouble, which is impossible if it's nighttime in the middle of the night and they in the middle of the ocean and you up in the hills. He saw, <coughs> excuse me, that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, this is like nine to 11 some hours later, Jesus came toward them walking on the water and he intended to go past them. So now we see that Jesus came under them walking the water three o'clock in the morning. He never did plan on getting in the boat. He planned on meeting them on the other side. That's crazy. But when he saw, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Well, yeah, we can see that dude, you're walking on water. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped immediately and they were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. In other words, they could not understand that this man operates on this level perpetually. He can do anything that is beyond your logic. I don't know which one is crazier, y'all, to take a, a piece of bread and some fish and feed 15, 20,000 people or walk on water. How I many you know both of them are crazy? Okay, so that's Mark's account of what happened. Now we're going to look at John's account of the same story. John chapter 6, verse 10 through 21. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes and the men alone numbered about 5,000. There it is again, same story. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Ever, after everyone was full, Jesus told the disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Numbers means everything. There are two scenarios in Scripture by which this happened. And in this particular case, it said that there were 12 baskets left over and the other one, it was seven. Both of those numbers mean it's some prophetic significance when it comes to that. Okay. And so when the people saw him in verse 14, do this uh, miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. See the same story, but different detail. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon a gale, or like a strong wind, swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. Everyone say three or four miles. They were terrified, but he called out to them, don't be afraid, I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. Stop. See that immediately arrived at their destination? Okay. I said, y'all, never mind. Okay. So you see here that the disciples, now, in Mark's account, yeah, Mark's account, he said, we had rolled all the way until the middle of the sea. 
Um, and so the middle part, which means they were halfway. Okay? And so here in John's account, he said we had rode about three or four miles, which lets you know then that from one side to the other was about eight miles. When you actually go study this out, that sea is actually eight miles across. Okay? So you see here now where Jesus told them, y'all go ahead ahead of me. He goes into the hills to pray. Okay? They start rowing. I'm going to repeat this one more time. And they start rowing, and they get out there, and after they have rowed three to four miles, it took them nine hours minimum to do it because they're rowing against that type of wind and that type of wave where it takes them nine hours to row halfway across, three to four miles. And then Jesus saw them four miles away in the darkness with no lights while they he's up in the mountain. He saw them struggling, and he decides to catch up with them by walking on the water. He walked on the water for four miles, and what did the first one say? But he was intending to walk the whole eight. I'm trying to get y'all to understand this scenario. The, uh, first of all, it's crazy to walk on water if it's a swimming pool. How Jesus walked on water in a storm, and it took them nine to 12 hours to row four miles, and how he caught up with them in the middle of that type of storm, I do not know. And we read right here, same scenario. It says that he then got into the boat and instantaneously, in the King James, it says in one moment, it says the ship was pushed to land immediately four miles in one second. Now let's look at Matthew's account. <clears throat> Matthew 14, 21 through 33. This also, see, the things that I'm showing you today, almost every passage and every story in the Bible has this much revelation in it. You've got to read everything all together. Matthew 14, 21, about 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all women and children. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone, which means it was not night when he went up to pray. So this is a significant amount of time that this man prayed. So I say nine hours. Truth be told, he could have prayed 12 we know for a fact it was a minimum of nine hours that this man prayed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them. It's a reason why you all you always wake up at three o'clock in the morning. I taught a series. I mean, I message I taught. I don't have to reteach that. Yeah, nobody asked, why is it? I mean, raise your hand if on a regular basis when you pop up in the middle of the night, it's right around 3 o'clock. Now, why is that happening to everybody? It's, no, no, I didn't mean it as an actual question. I'm just saying, well, you could have answered it. I'm just saying that these are the type of things that are happening to people and nobody seems to explain this. Why is it that mysteriously we wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, but then you have instances in Scripture where things happen right around the 3 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, well, I ain't got time to teach it on that today, but, you know. So what verse am I in? Well, around 25, around 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in their fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I am here. Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Jesus said, yes, come. Jesus said, I'm sorry, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, so this tumultuous situation is still going on. He was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. 
Jesus immediately reached out his hand and grabbed him, which means he was directly in front of him. He said, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? I have a problem with the fact that little faith allows you to walk on the water. Shows you how far we behind. What we call in faith is not faith at all. Because if little faith lets you walk on the water, what does big faith do? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God. <laughs> I know Jesus is like, whatever, dude. Just thank you for that update. Okay. So I want you to see something here. Now I explain this. I, I, let me tell you something. When I talked about last week about praying in tongues, how it expands your spirit and it increases the width and breadth of your mind so that you can see the unseeable and know the unknowable. So there have been checkpoints in my life where you are praying tongues for a long time. I would be reading the Bible and then the Holy Spirit in the flash would show me stuff like this. And so um, so here and, and one of the things that the Holy Spirit showed me was is uh, this is the dilemma behind you for us to pray this particular way. Spending time with God when you don't think you have time. You're in this dilemma where, you know, I mentioned this last week, where I don't have time to spend time in prayer. I got too many things I got to do. I got this project. I got this situation. I got, a, got these errands I got to run. And you don't do that. And, and so what happens is, is that Jesus was in the exact same scenario. He administered all day long. Whenever you're ministering to people, you always end up ministering a whole lot longer than you had intention. That's why I threatened y'all at the beginning of service. Okay? It just happens that way. I mean, it just happens. And so, so Jesus has spent. He has, a, he has a dilemma. I can jump in this boat and get to the other side. Or I can do what's necessary where I know I need to spend time in prayer. I know I need to spend time time building myself up because I preached all day. And when you go back and read the scenario, Jesus had preached for three days straight all day. He had preached all day for three days straight. And at the end of those three days, the disciples were like, dude, we, we, what are we going to do? Um, and Jesus, they said, we can't send the people back to town because they're going to faint because they haven't eaten anything. You know how we do on the three-day fast? You're all woozy and everything. The world is circling around. I mean, you had to be... You know, Side note for a second. Let me show you something. No, seriously, this is because I don't want you all to be condemned with this three-day fast. Let me say something that's very, very important. Someone asked me a question, and he's an electrician, and so he, he's very, uh, uh, during the course of his day, he exerts a lot of physical activity. So he was concerned about exerting his physical activity and not eating any food. And so, I mean, just like that, I, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or I just realized it. I told him, I said, you got to be very, very careful when you do these fast without food and only water when you are still being active. And the reason I say that is all of the fast in the Bible, people disengaged from, from activity. They disengaged. Okay? So when you see about these people, I mean, you remember the one guy, the one king, he told them, can't nobody do nothing. He said, can't nobody do nothing. You can't go nowhere. You can't do nothing. He said, I mean, it's hilarious, but the man was so serious. He said he put the men, the women, the children, and the animals on the fast. And he said, nobody can eat or drink anything. That was Jonah, I believe. You know, when they, the city was going to be destroyed. He said, is that right? Can't nobody eat. We're about to change God's mind. I can't imagine putting the animals on the fast. They don't even know what's going on. They barking and, what is going on? <laughs> Are you serious? You know, but, but these fast, you know, there's a reason why Daniel said, 
I mean, you're talking about Daniel is a big governor, but he had disengaged from his activities. He was on the side of a river, you know. And so when you study fasting in the Bible, these people weren't going about their daily activities. So I had to realize that, duh, when you're doing a fast, you can disengage. So you have to be careful. So it, you, you, might, you have to realize, let me tell you something. If you just disengage from meat and sweets, you increase your power. Okay? So it's just that we try to go as far as we can go. So you have to look at your situation and say, okay, I might need to do this three-day fast with some protein drinks and some juice or some, you know what I'm saying? Because in Scripture, true fasting is actually to disengage from everything and only focus on God. Well, we can't always do that. And so as a result of that, you got to be very, very careful. So when he called me and, and told me that, we were coming home, Devon and I were coming home from the Thursday location. And I, that was just some wisdom that I had to give him. I said, well, hey, how many you know, we can all dis- nah, nah. If you start getting woozy because you can't eat meat and sweets, no, nah, you got an issue. That's, this is you. This is you. This ain't, no. So um, because even with, I, even with me, even though I can be at home and disengage, you know, I just find myself struggling because I still got kids and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, and then it hit me, oh, the true fast is for you to disengage. That's why when Jesus did his fast and prayer, he was in the mountain. Okay, he was in the hills. He disengaged from all activity. Okay, so don't feel bad or condemned when during the fast you need to do protein drinks because you walking around all day long at the office, getting up, sitting down. And that's just at the office. We're not talking about people who have to drive all day, you know, physical. Y'all know what I mean by physical activity. So be very, very careful with that because it's not how, how can I put this? It's not how perfect we can be. It's, it's us trying to do the best that we can do in our situation. But you do need times where you disengage. You know, let me tell you something. You'd be surprised, you know, if you take off, if you take a week of vacation and say, I'm going to take two or three of those days to disengage. God will honor you because he knows how much that vacation time means to you. See what I'm saying? Okay, so back to the story. Where was that? Bam, there it is. Okay, so, so Jesus is up in, uh, he's stuck in this dilemma. I just ministered for three days. I'm spent, and if I get in the boat, okay, I know the disciples are going to want to ask me 30 questions and, and all of that type of stuff. Or I can go spend time with prayer on my Heavenly Father. Jesus recognized something, that it is the things you think you don't have time to do that you still won't accomplish if you don't put God first. And, and so what happened is, is that Jesus recognized, no matter what, I trust my Heavenly Father that I am going to spend time with him, not a little bit of time, but a saturated amount of time, and what I think needs to be done will be handled supernaturally. I never forget the Holy Spirit taught me this years ago because I was struggling with something. And so, so Jesus goes into the hills. Now watch this. He goes into the hills, and let's just say it's nine hours. It probably was more like 12. The man is praying for nine hours straight. And when he was done, because he put God first, then God put his situation first and began to affect physical reality and bend time in order for him to catch up with the lost time he thought it would have been. So instantly when he's done praying, God says, okay, because you honored me. Y'all got to remember, let me tell you something, y'all. In order for God to release power to bend physical reality, that does not mean anything to him. 
This doesn't make him like, well, I don't know if we should do this. You know what I'm saying? For God to, to release power is just as natural as it is for us breathing air. It doesn't mean anything. For God to heal you, the only thing he requires is faith. It's, God doesn't sit up here and, and analyze. You know how when your kids ask you something crazy and you're like, well, let me, I got to, you know, and my son asked me something the other day. I was like, let me talk to your mother just because I could be off. You know, and God doesn't do that type of stuff. You know, it says he wants to give it. He said he doesn't withhold any good from those who walk uprightly. It's faith in walking upright, uprightly, not God not wanting to do it. So God had no problem. His family, heavenly father had no problem. said, okay, we got to catch you up with what you thought was lost time. First thing we got to do is we got to show you where the disciples is without technology. So the man is, y'all talking about three o'clock in the morning. You are in the mountain and they are on the sea. Four miles, thank you, four miles away. How can you see someone struggling four miles away? You can't unless the gifts of the spirit have kicked on and you see something in here. The same way that some of you see something in here when you're praying for people. So he says, okay, I see where they are. Then the next thing that happens is they cause physical reality to bend and water becomes cement. And now this man walking on the water for four miles, catching up with 12 men who could not outpace him in a boat rowing. He walks up and catches up with him. This is what happens when, that's what I'm talking about, the time manipulation. He's catching up with time. He walks up to them. When Peter and the rest see them, they then have a moment and Peter says, Lord, if that's really you, can I walk on the water? And he said, yeah. And Peter, what was in Peter's mind? That's a strange statement. I've said this before. It's a strange statement. If you come to my house in the middle of the night and I say, who is it? You know, or I'm not going to ask you. You know what I'm saying? I think. No, you don't. You haven't said it yet. I'm going to ask you to identify yourself. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm not going to say, you know, when, when, when Peter said, Lord, if it's you, he, he didn't say, do this or do that. He said, if it's you, then tell me to do something. Because he recognized that part of Jesus' MO was, whatever he does, he allows you to do. So he said, well, you know, if it's really you, you're the only person I know that always gives us the same ability to do. You, you do it. You told us to raise the dead, cast out demons, and heal everybody. Do all of that. So if it's really you, tell me to do the same thing then. I'll say, Jesus said, okay, here's the identification process. Come, I'm going to give you the word. And then the man walks on water and walks right up to Jesus. And then he looked around and started, what does this have to do with anything? Some of y'all been like that. You get out there, out there on faith. And the devil gets to talking. Um, you know this could happen. And you go right down. Let me, let me tell you something that's dangerous about fear, though. Um, how many of you know that it's really, really crazy for a fisherman to not know how to swim? That's what fear does. Not only do you lose the supernatural, you also lose the natural. Because later on, it says that when Jesus had gotten up from the dead, it says Jesus was at the seashore. And it says the same man, Peter, saw Jesus. And he said, that's Jesus. And he said he put his fisherman coat on and jumped in the water and swam the shore. How many of you know? It don't matter what the scripture says. You're not supposed to go into the fishing business and you can't swim. It's like being a mechanic and you can't drive. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so, but that's what I mean by is that fear makes you panic. It really does make you panic. The man is, and this is the crazy thing. I could see if when he started walking on the water, things were calm and then things got tumultuous. 
No. This thing, this storm is so strong, it took these men nine hours to row four miles. That's how strong this thing is. So he stepped out there when it was already crazy, stands right up there in front of Jesus, and then pauses, and he gets to looking, and he gets to looking, and then he gets to looking, and, and the Bible said he began to sink, and he cried out for the Lord's help. But you know how to swim. He could have just swam back to the boat. And, people, and I can guarantee you one thing Jesus didn't do is he didn't dive in the water and then, you know, put his hand around his neck. Come on, Peter, I got you. Uh, you know, we, we can make it back. No. Bible says Jesus stretched out his hand and lifted him back up. And now they're having a conversation standing on the water. Because now, at first it was his faith, but then Jesus had mercy on him and then executed his faith and gave him a portion of his to bring him back up. And now they're standing there and then they walked back to the boat. This is crazy. They get in the boat. And when they got in the boat, that anointing to catch up with time was still on Jesus. So whatever he got on, it had to go. So when they got on the boat, it then shifted the boat to land. Why? Because Jesus was intending to walk right past them. So his intent after he spent time time with God, God had to honor his intent because he put God first. Y'all see that? Okay. So. That is the that and that's why the Bible says praying in tongues is mysterious. Now, one thing about a mystery is it takes a while to figure out the secrets concerning the mystery. But the mysteries can always be solved. But you first got to embrace praying in tongues in the first place. And that's a big dilemma in the body of Christ right now. Just, and we have got a lot of people. We've been getting so many people praying in other tongues in the last two, three weeks. It is insane. By phone. By phone. People are like, man, I heard the message. And you, can I give you a testimony? I asked a lady, can I share this? This lady has a doctorate. She heard the message. I just talked to her three, four days ago. It's a lady. She, uh, she lives in another area. And uh, never been to the church. Somebody told her about the website. She listened to the message on tongues. She heard me say, well, I mean, Bible says ask, so. Asking faith, Father, I'm already saved. I'm asking for the gift of praying in other tongues, and I receive it now in Jesus' name. I said, then take a deep breath and start to speak out whatever came out. So what she did was she heard that in a message. When it was over, she prayed the prayer, she said, and then went to the bathroom, and she said she started praying in tongues on the toilet, which she didn't really appreciate, you know. <laughs> and she definitely didn't want to appreciate having to share it with me. <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. As I always say, God is not nervous, you are. Bishop Oyedipo had a vision on the toilet. I don't need any of those type of experiences, but you know, the Lord just picks and chooses. I mean, it's like the Lord, when the Lord is ready to give, you know what, and let me tell you something. Sometimes the Lord will do that to show you that he is not religious, you are. Because you would think, oh, when it comes to a powerful gift, my hands must be a particular way, and I got to make sure that my shirt is straight, and it got to be a certain amount of music at a particular level, and I had to have some special oil. It got to be at a certain time and a special angle when Dracula has gone to sleep and the angels are on the rise, and then I can receive it right then. And she's got like, uh, no, uh, you can receive it whenever you want to, and so we'll give it to you on the toilet. God does stuff like that to show you y'all are the ones that's religious. We're not religious like that. Okay. So, so that is the mystery behind time travel. Now, let me say this. Most have never experienced that because most people have not prayed in tongues for an hour, let alone nine. Now, these are the things that my wife and I 
have experienced in our personal life. Now, let me tell you, now watch this. For you all, and it's okay if you've only prayed in tongues for 15 minutes, y'all. This ain't no condemnation message. <laughs> but for us, for you all that have prayed and you, were, you really prayed in the morning time, you can attest to the fact that your day went different. Sometimes it feels like having two assistants. I know for me, I know for me, I'll start feeling overwhelmed because I got all of this stuff that I got to do, all of this stuff that I got to do. And I will sit there and I will pray in tongues for an hour. And then when I'm done praying in tongues, I can't even remember what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's, 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 it's just all of this stuff that's in your head, all of this stuff that's in your head. I got to do this. I got to do this. And and never realizing that your prayers target what you got to do and God takes care of it. And so and so now let me tell you how this can work, because people tend to take spiritual things and only use them for what they think is spiritual. There you go being a religious again. This stuff is for life. Give an example. You can take a wedding planner. And the wedding planner can say, Lord, I have a wedding this Saturday and you know how weddings go. So I'm going to spend time praying in the spirit in order to bend physical reality and manipulate time for that wedding so that things don't go wrong and everything goes right. When I get on an airplane, okay, I got to fly on an airplane sometime in a couple weeks or whatever, okay, I don't do this. I don't, now I'm not saying it's wrong with it. But I don't believe in this. We're about to get on an airplane. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just want to give you thanks and praise and glory. Thank you for a safe flight. I just don't believe in that. Okay? So, so what I do is, if I know that I'm getting on a flight, I will. Now, this is if I, sometimes I don't even do this. I'll just go by peace. But this is how I play, pray when I'm getting on an airplane. I will spend one hour or two praying for the flight. In other words, so when, I, when I'm praying in tongues, what, what's going on? God is going into that scenario into the future, and he begins to manipulate everything for my personal benefit. I don't need a flight with a bunch of turbulence. I don't need nobody crazy to be on the flight. You're going on vacation, and now you got Sister Susie Q over here, you know, uh, upset because uh, they want her dog off the flight because he's barking too much, and now she want to hold up the flight. That ain't the time. Okay? There's turbulence on flight. There are hangups. I don't need other flights to mess up to mess up my flight. I don't need to be traffic accidents to cause me to be late for my flight. You understand what I'm saying? So what you do is, is that you use praying in tongues to focus on certain things that are important for you in the future. And then God goes into the future and begins to manipulate each day so that your prayers come to pass easily and fluidly on that particular day works every single time. There's a particular church that I used to be a part of, and they would have this conference every year. And every year they had this conference, it was always a bunch of drama, things going wrong, this, that, I mean, the other. And then one, and then one year the pastor got wise and said, you know what, we're going to start meeting on Fridays and we're going to start praying for this conference. And so every Friday, was it one hour or two? I think it was like two hours. Every Friday for like the, the month prior, the congregation would meet and we would pray in tongues in the congregation for two hours for the success of the conference. When we start doing that, the conference went so smooth, there was zero issues that happened. You know why? Because while we were praying about that one issue in tongues, it's mysterious. Watch this. If you, got, if you have a big event this weekend, do you know who's going to be there? No. Do you know all of the things that will cause people to be late? 
Do you know any of the things that have caused people to have to cancel because now they can't come because of some emergency? No. Do you know all of the things that Satan might be working on so that your event might be a failure? No. Do you know how much money you're supposed to make in the event? Do you know who you're supposed to come across? Do you know how to make the event a success besides you showing up? No, but God knows all of those things. So what you do is you spend time praying in tongues for that one event, and then they go to that event and make it according to what you were praying. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And so this is what I have practiced in my, who Jesus. I remember the first time that my wife and I got translated. Translated is when God moves you through time. And I know this because every, what was that, a Monday or Tuesday we went to that college camp? But it was a Tuesday. Every Tuesday, it's the same. We had to go, we were college campus ministers. And it's the same route there, same route back. Had a Porsche at the time. We didn't have any kids yet. <laughs> okay, so the same route every Tuesday for months. So I knew it like the back of my hand. I knew every angle. I knew every pothole. I knew everything. And, um, and so, but I would spend a lot of time praying. And so it was always smooth. We never ran into a traffic backup, never, because I prayed for the smoothness of that day. One particular day it was raining and we were dead tired, just dead tired. And, uh, and it was, it would take me, I don't know, I don't know. Do you remember how long it took? Hour and a, gee, hour and a half. And, um, and I just remember riding back and, um, I don't know maybe about 40% into the drive, I am dead. Y'all know that type of sleepiness, you know? I mean, where you just, you're exerting every amount of, every fiber muscle to keep your eyes open, and, and you still can't hang on. And it's raining, and, and I'm trying to get home quick, and I'm running that car, I'm in a Porsche, so I'm running that thing down the freeway, you know, like I'm on the Autobahn in Germany. And, and, and my wife, she's knocked out. And, um, and I just remember, like, I am not going to make it. And I don't remember what I said out of my mouth. And when I said it, I was instantly at the exit. Just like that. See, it doesn't happen like uh, on Star Wars when they push that button. You know. <laughs> no, that's how it happened. It happens without you knowing it happens, but you know it happened. Because you're like, now, wait a minute now. How did we cut 30 minutes off our trip? No, this, and so this, it's just like, boom, boom. It's just like that. And so this, these are the things that we miss to be able, and, and this is how I handle myself. I'm, I literally bend time. I manipulate time by praying in other tongues. Now, by the time you start doing an hour a day, that pretty much covers you to have a smooth day. It's not until you get over into the two hours and the three hours and the four hours and the five hours that you begin to affect the rest of your week and you make time compress. And it just sounds crazy that it's coming from a church, isn't it? You, you make time compress. And then what happens is when you start consistently getting over into two uh, more hours a day, you start actually making future things come to you much faster. You can get to the point where you can, uh, where um, something that's supposed to be for you, for you in 10 years can come in two. When you walk, or, uh, read that book, The Walk of the Spirit, The Walk of Power, um, uh, there are things that came to him that would have never come to him in his lifetime if he hadn't prayed that way. I mean, it's, it's mysterious. And the reason why there's very little revelation about the mysteries of praying in tongues, because you very rarely find a man that prays at all, let alone 
someone to have some type of testimonies of this longevity when it comes to these different type of things. You know, so I got tons of stories.